You're listening to the Bay Christian Family Church Podcast. Praise God as you see that open your Bible in Matthew chapter 16. Just to so put people in light that might have missed it. Maybe you did miss it. Remember we spoke about the, for the anointing's sake. So Christ, the Antichrist, is not just the devil. The devil will be. He is Antichrist. He's anti the anointing. But again, the same way Christ is not Jesus' name, the Antichrist is not the devil's name. It tells you what he is. He's anti the anointing. In fact, if you look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 22, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the anointed one? In other words, whoever says, I don't agree with the anointing, what do we mean by that? And that's where a lot of people miss it. No one will stand up. You ask anybody, even, even your most religious, dogmatic, you know, no gifts, no singing, no music, nothing, just love Jesus kind of thing. Anti-everything, anti-tongues, anti-healing, anti-whatever. You ask them, is Jesus the Christ? They'll say yes, because they, they know Jesus Christ. But so does Jesus heal today? Does Jesus still do miracles? Does Jesus still, can we speak in tongues? Do we, people say no. Well, hang on, that's empowered by the anointing. So if you anti that, then you anti the anointing, which translates as, Antichrist. Now we don't want to hear that because that means evil. No, it just means you're against what the anointing can do. And we're going to be cautious with that. That's why we're studying this. So we realize it helps us interpret scripture. And in doing that, we saw what are the things that can stop that anointing. What even you and I as born again believers who believe in the Holy Spirit, pray in other tongues, believe and can lay hands on the sick, seen many people recover. Sow your seed, it'll multiply. Have you seen the anointing work in your life? Yet we can do things that are anti the anointing, that'll stop that anointing from working. And in having a look at that, we saw in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, Wherefore put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. And then it says, be angry and sin not. Now that's where I... In just reading fast, I said, do not be angry, which is not accurate because it says be angry, but do not sin. What's he saying? How do you know even God gets angry, but he never sins in it. It's always righteous. So what does he mean? Do not sin. In other words, Paul is saying, yeah, he knows you're going to get angry. There are things we'll be angry about. If someone's anti the anointing, I'm angry. You tell me, when people tell me that poverty is some kind of piety thing that helps you and helps you learn and maybe God you know, can teach you something through it, that gets me angry because poverty is from the pit of hell. It's because of the curse. So I will get angry. But I, I, I fight the devil, not people. Are you with me? So when I get angry, I mean, even Jesus turned over tables, but he didn't do it in a fit of temper. That's the difference. See, that's what he's saying. You're going to get angry, but don't sin in that anger. Why would he say that? Why would he say don't sin in that anger? Because he says, yeah, look, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't go to bed in that angry state even. So even if you are angry, first of all, you're not going to sin. Secondly, you're not going to go to bed with that anger, even if it's a good anger. 
You don't want that thing festering. Why? He says, don't give place to the devil. And then he goes through a few more things and he says, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you. So you can see, he says, yes, be anger, angry, but then don't sin in it. But as quick as possible, get it away. Get it out of your heart. That's where that do not be angry comes from. <laughs> so get it away from you. And then he says, why? Be kind to one another. So even in your angry, be kind. Even in your anger, be tender-hearted. Even if you're angry, forgive. Why? Even as God for Christ's sake forgave you. Now, as I said last time, uh, I used to read that like God wanted me in heaven more than I wanted to be and for his own sake forgave me, which is true. That is true. But yeah, it says for Christ's sake, for the anointed one, for the anointing's sake. In other words, these things that Paul just mentioned, if we lose our temper, we get angry, we hold things in our heart, and somebody's hurt us, but we keep it now, and every time we see them, we hold it against them, that's actually stopping the anointing from working in our lives. And then we wonder why we're always in debt, and we wonder why we're always getting sick. We wonder why this keeps going wrong. Uh, I still love Jesus. I still go to the church. I still sing songs. I, you know, if anyone asks me, are oh, you saved? Yes, amen. But I don't understand why this keeps going wrong in my life. Well, why are you angry? You're fighting, whatever. There's little things that we, that we hold on to. We think it's okay, but it actually stops that anointing from working. That is anti-Christ. So me screaming, losing my temper, because that's just, I just, you know, that's just me. What you see is what you get. Okay, but it's stopping the anointing from working. So now you want to be healed, but that thing's blocked it. So what I need to do is put that aside and choose this way of life. Be quick to forgive. Why? Because I never know when I'm going to need that power next. I might have an argument with you and walk out the door and at that moment need to pull on that anointing. But now there's something harbored in my heart. So I need to make sure that that is cleared. So I trust that that clears that one. Is that all our Bible students happy again? Amen. Keep your pastor accurate. Well, our Holy Spirit makes sure I do that. Amen. Praise God for the Holy Spirit. Uh, I like the way the Message Bible puts it, Ephesians 4.29, watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps, each word a gift. Don't grieve God, don't break His heart. His Holy Spirit moving and breathing in you is the most intimate part of your life, making you fit for Himself. Don't take this gift as granted. Make a clean break from all cutting, backbiting, profane talk. Be gentle with one another. Sensitive. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God in Christ forgave you. How many believe you can do that? I just don't understand how you can do that. This, this, this really helps me. You know, sometimes I'll be in a conversation with someone and then they may say something and you would expect someone to respond in that. And then they'll say to me, Pastor Alan, you didn't, how, how do you do that? 
I want as much as possible to protect that anointing. And I, because I'm aware of the Holy Spirit and aware of His anointing, it makes it easier. Amen. So even though I feel I have my own rights and my own mind and I want to just speak my mind, no, for Christ's sake, I'm going to let that go. Can you see that? Doesn't mean we're not going to fix it. We can still talk about it, but I don't have to shout at you to fix it. I can fix it in a way that is holy and still keeps the anointing at work. Amen. Because here's the bottom line, family. Have you noticed you can't change people? Have you tried? <laughs> no. The only one that's going to change you is the Holy Spirit. Me as well. Isn't that right? And so I want to make sure that that anointing is free to operate in everybody's life. Hallelujah. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. So Jesus has just got through saying something controversial. I don't have time to study it in detail because there's something else I need to get to. But as a result of what he taught, the Bible says that from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked away with him. Walked away from him. Now, that's never quite happened in our church. I've said things. And people, you know... We, we have to be challenged in the word. If you go to a church that never challenges you, or you ever only walk out, whoa, that was an awesome message, hallelujah. <laughs> then, then, then I need to question whether you're in the right house. How many of you had some ouch moments? Yes. Why? Because we need to be discipled. And so, but I always do it in love. I want to make sure you encourage through it. Doesn't mean that I'm going to get on your case. You know that. But the point I'm making is that sometimes we need to say something and not everybody's always going to agree with it. How many of you sat in the message, you hear something and initially you didn't agree with it. But because it was said in love and you made a choice to learn and stay with learning, it still transformed your life. Amen. But some people don't do that. They just get up and go. Now, I've never said anything. And then the whole church got up and left. The whole, I mean, everyone. That's what happened Yeah, Jesus says something, that's it. That's it. That's it. We come, we like the healings. We like the, we like the, you know, the food. And we like the multiplication. And, you know, it was wonderful. But what you just said, mm -mm, and boom, the whole church leaves. So pastors that are pastors of churches, be encouraged. That's never happened to you. Amen. I don't know what that even feels like. I don't want to know what that feels like. So that's what happened. A whole bunch of people got up and they left. So Jesus turns to his staff and says, do you also want to go away? Do you notice his response? He's not trying to grab people. He actually opens the door and says, you want to go with? Normally when things happen in our lives and people say something against us, this is again anti-Christ. When something happens, somebody walks out of my life, says something ugly or blunt ever, I'll never talk to somebody else about it. That's what happens. Now all of a sudden someone's left. Oh, let me tell you about them. And then we want to say, try and win that person. Don't you walk away. You, you stay. You sit. Sit. You're not going anywhere. And that's not the way we disciple. Everyone needs to go where the Lord leads them. 
Amen? And so that's what happened here. Jesus is now giving them an opportunity. And so this bunch of people left. He opens the door and says, so are you also going to leave? You're on your way. And Simon Peter answered and said, never, Lord. <laughs> that's what he said. <laughs> what did he say? Then to whom will we go? If you kick us out, where are we going to go? So that tells me they were looking around. The thought did cross their mind. Now, no, it's never crossed your mind to leave. I'm talking about those that have. Say amen. But it can happen. The enemy can speak to us. And say, your time is here, is over. The one that I always hear. My season is over. <laughs> your season of learning, your season of discipleship, your season. Uh, See, we can so spiritualize things. Whereas when you understand how God, when he sets us in a place, the Bible says he chose to set each one as he purposes. God knows where you will flourish. And he puts you in the house where he needs you to belong. Uh, Paul said, how will they hear without a preacher? Evidently, there are things that I can learn on my own. I can read on my own. But there are things that God wants to get to me that will only come through the set man he's put into my life. How will they hear without a preacher? But the preacher is sent in order to do that. So they're saying, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So that did cross their mind. But here's what Peter saw. Something made him stay. What is it? You have words of eternal life. Now listen to this statement. And we've come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the? What made him stay? It wasn't just that he was teaching the Word because there were other people teaching the Word as well. You are teaching the Word, but we also understand the anointing is working in your life. I am staying with you because I see God is with you. God is moving in you. God is moving through you. We've seen the results of that anointing flowing in you. It was Christ that kept them centered. Family of God, if we want to follow God's purpose for us, we don't just go to a church because it's popular. We don't just go to a church because it's a new thing. We don't just go to a church because the music's better there or the lights are better there or there's more pretty girls there or, uh, or there's more of people like us there. No, that's not why we go to a church. We go because Christ is there. I said we go where Christ is. When you see the anointing at work and you understand that when you're aware of the anointed one and his anointing, nothing will eject you from that presence. I don't care if everybody walks away, I'm not going anywhere because I don't want to be anywhere where there's no 
anointing. Isn't that what Moses said? I don't care where we go. If you don't go with us, we're not moving. I want to know where I am is where the anointing is. How you say amen to that? So this anointing, sometimes people say, well, I just don't see it. I just don't receive it. Here's the thing. The anointing that flows in your life is dependent not on God delivering because he always delivers. Some people sometimes say, well, I didn't get anything. I don't understand that. No, we determine what we receive. I said, we, re- we determine how much, how the anointing flows in a life. This will help answer some questions why people say, you know, uh, if, if you believe in healing, well, then why don't you just go into the hospital and empty all the beds, just heal everybody there? Jesus didn't even do that. I said, Jesus didn't even do that. The Bible says he went to his hometown and in his hometown, he could do no mighty works. And the Bible qualifies this because of their unbelief. So the power was present to heal them, but it didn't work in their lives because they didn't believe it. Have a look at Mark chapter 5, verse 25. There was a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, had suffered many things from many physicians. She spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, If only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Now, that's sometimes how the Bible writes things. It writes something because something happened before, because something happened before. So let's flip it around. This woman had a flow of blood for 12 years, and she saw Jesus walking one day, and she said, if I can just get close to him and just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. And the way that's written in the Greek is she said it over and over. If I can just touch him, I'll be made well. If I touch him, I'll be made well. If I touch him, I'll be made well. If I just touch his clothes, just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. And she pushed away through this crowd. Now you understand that uh, under Jewish tradition, this woman with the flow of blood was not allowed to be in public. And if she was found in public, under the law, She had to be stoned to death. And the person that could actually issue that warrant was right there next to Jesus, Jairus. He was a Jewish leader and he had come to Jesus and asked him to come and heal his daughter. So they're walking together and she can see Jairus next to her, but she was so desperate, she didn't care. She thought if I just push the crowd, I doesn't even have to know. No one has to even know I'm here. No one has to even know my problem because if I can get to his garment, and touch it, I'll be healed, and then my problem's over. So what if they find me? Are you with me? So she was going to do this undercover, clandestine. Verse 29. As she touched the clothes, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately knowing in himself that power, everybody say power. Power had gone out of him. Turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, the multitudes are thronging you and you say who touched me? 
What do they mean? Everybody's bumping you. And you walk in a crowd and the whole crowd wants to touch the famous man. They're all trying to get together close to him. And he's bumping all these people as he's walking. And so they say, you asking who touched you, everybody here has been touching you. But Jesus looked around to see who had done this thing. The woman fearing and trembling, now you know why, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Interesting wording. Your faith. Now, the account already tells us it was power that flowed out of his body. So it was his body. It was because Jesus was there that she was healed. The power in him flowed to heal her. So first of all, Jesus was present. He's the healer. Secondly, it's the power in him, that anointing that healed her. And third, it has to be the will of the Father. Otherwise, Jesus would have corrected her. Daughter, what if the Father gave you this to teach you a lesson? You didn't say, you didn't even ask me. You didn't ask my permission. You didn't ask if it's my will. You just took it. He didn't correct on that. So we know it's the Father's will. So the Father's will, Jesus' present, Holy Spirit's power, the anointing. She's healed. And yet Jesus says, your faith. See, the power can be present, but if you don't receive it, you won't see it. You have to say, I believe. Jesus often invoked that. You see the account with the blind man. Lord, that I may see. He says, do you believe I'm able to do this? Not, I know I can. No, do you believe? Yes, then on your faith. See, family of God, we must be the ones that are open to receiving the anointing. Two people can sit in the same message and one sit there thinking, I don't get that. I just don't see there's nothing, there's nothing happening in this church, this church. No, no, I just don't feel right in this church. This, no, listen to the pastor. Listen to that person will go home and not have received anything. But someone comes in here and say, I'm coming for a reason. I'm coming to receive. I'm coming to have my burdens removed, my yokes destroyed. I'm coming to have my life transformed, my mind renewed. I'm coming to be filled with faith. You come with that intention, you'll encounter the anointing, even if the pastor is dry. You can have someone stand here and preach monotone and just get you. There, there are pastors, there's messages, there's preachers out there that I can only listen to two or three of their messages and yet the churches are pumping. Why? Because he knows the anointing. He trusts the anointing, believes the anointing and the people come expectant for that. So you don't put it on the pastor. You don't put it on the worship team. You don't put it, well, I just don't think that pastor's anointed. No, no. If God puts you in a place and you open your heart to it and say, I'm ready to receive that anointing will flow. And then you go, hey, this man is anointed. It wasn't that he wasn't before you believed, but because you believed, you received it. Does that make sense? Is this helping somebody today? So notice it was her expectation of that healing that it flowed. And I want you to notice Jesus didn't even have to pull the trigger. 
She just drew on it. Family, what do you need the anointing for? What burden is in your life? What yoke needs to be destroyed? Make a decision today. I'm drawing on Christ. I'm drawing on that power. This power, he said, he sends power flow from him. What power are we talking about? Acts 10, 38. How God anointed Jesus, anointed Jesus, the anointed one, Christ. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit. That's the power that removes burdens and destroys yokes. He went about doing good, healing how many? All who oppressed the devil for God was with him. Hallelujah. See, family of God, this is how we upgrade our lives. This is the difference between just religiously going to a church. This is the difference between being saved and just making sure you have a place in heaven and moving into a life of power. How many want to go from just barely getting by until you die one day and then you get to your mansion or would you prefer to have heaven here on earth as it is in heaven? How many want to experience as it is in heaven today? How many want to see, you don't want to wait for your mansion one day in heaven. You can live in the life where God, you don't want to wait till you get to heaven and get rid of this body. Now I'm all healed. You can be healed today. How many want to experience that kind of power? It's how you bump your name and say, it's time to upgrade. So how do we upgrade? Have a look at Acts chapter 18, verse 24. A certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. So here's a man who is now born again. And he's heard the word of God and he is now teaching that word. He's a good teacher. Everybody say good teacher. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. Though he knew only the baptism of John. So yeah, I was a good Baptist. I'm not talking about the religion, the, the denomination. I'm talking, he, he, he believes in baptism. Amen. That's really what a Baptist means. They believe in adult baptism. See, we've got to be cautious now. You know, I don't know about that denomination, this denomination. No, baptism is, is accurate. We believe in adult baptism. So people say, are you Baptist? Yes. Well, are you Methodist? Yes, we have good methods. We disciple well. I'll, I'll stop there. I don't want to get too deep into that. You understand what I'm saying? Don't just write off people by name. So, yeah, he's teaching the word. He believes in baptism. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Now Aquila and Priscilla heard him. And so they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Everybody say more accurately. But we've just read he was a good teacher. And what he taught was correct. He taught accurately. So there wasn't wrong, anything wrong with his doctrine. But something was missing. What was missing? Watch this. Verse 27, and when he desired to cross to Achaia, 
the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, listen to this, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the anointed one. He was missing the one key ingredient. He was teaching accurately, right up to baptism, everything about salvation. But there was one thing missing. Quilla and Priscilla set him right. They showed him, revealed it to him. And once he got it, it changed his ministry. And now he was teaching the anointing. The anointed one. The power of God. This, we've got to go beyond baptism and experience the power. We go beyond just getting saved, getting to heaven. Now that power is present to heal. That power is present to deliver. That power is present to break yokes, destroy yokes. That power is present to change your life. Shout amen. Look at Acts chapter 19 verse 1. It happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus and he found some disciples. Everybody say disciples. Yeah, we have again, born again believers. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now you understand when you're born again, the Bible says by grace you're saved how? By faith. And that faith is a gift from God. That born again experience is by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the moment someone says, Jesus is my Lord, the Holy Spirit enters that person's heart. That's how they're born again, right? So the fact that they're born again means they have the Holy Spirit in them. But Paul asks a very interesting question here. And he says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? So he's not talking about, did the Holy Spirit come into your heart? Did you receive? Did you receive? Not did you get. You're going to work with me a little quicker. because Has everybody caught up? You're hearing the wording. Did you receive? Not did you get. How many you know something can be given to you, but you never accept it? Because if you don't accept it, how many you know when Jesus died on the cross, every sin known to man was forgiven, not only forgiven, wiped out. And yet someone died and went to hell last night. How's that possible? Jesus paid for them. They didn't receive it. Someone can go to church. Do you know Jesus bore every sickness, every disease, carried every sorrow, every pain on the cross? By Jesus' stripes, you? Then how come someone still got sick? They didn't receive. The power is present to heal. But no one received it because they did not believe. That's anti the anointing. Are you seeing this? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. <laughs> I love that. I love that statement. 
When you gave your life to Jesus, you may not even know about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You just knew Jesus died for you, rose from the dead, and I believe, and you received it. Isn't that right? God didn't need you to know this Holy Spirit. He just moved into your life. He didn't need... That's, that's the humility of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't need to be the one acknowledged. But notice there is another level. We didn't even know there's a Holy Spirit. And so Paul said, and, and verse 3, he said to them, into, which, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe in him, who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. Notice the Holy Spirit came upon them. The Holy Spirit came upon them. Now, where did he come from? From heaven? No, that happened in the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit was already important. When they born again, the Holy Spirit moved into their lives. Isn't that right? So how did He come upon them? Well, look at the word, up on. The Holy Spirit came up on. For those that are listening on audio, my hand is coming from my heart, up to my head, over my head and on. See, it's not coming from outside. They already had the Holy Spirit in them. But when Paul explained to them that Jesus, Christ Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus, the anointing, then they said, that's what we want. And the moment they received that, the power came on them. And what happened? The first response, what happened? It's right there. Verse 6. Paul laid hands on them and the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues. They spoke with tongues. The power of God, the presence of God, the anointing, the first response is they began to speak with other tongues. So now you see the anointings at work. It's begun. That was their first response. Now, Jesus told the disciples the same thing. You look at John chapter 14. Where did this come from? He said in verse 15, If you love me, keep my commandments. I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. Everybody say the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive. Why? Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Say that the Holy Spirit, the very power of God, the anointing is not only with me, he dwells within me. Look at verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. This Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit will give you all things. John chapter 16, verse 13. However, when he, the spirit of truth, 
Everybody say the spirit of truth. Now the spirit of truth will be in you, he said, when the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and will tell you things to come. He'll tell you things to come. How many of you have ever had a situation where something happened and then you responded and after you responded, you said, hang on, I didn't respond correctly. If I'd known this was coming, I would have been prepared and respond better. Let me see, how have you ever had that? Now, how you know the Holy Spirit can tell you? How many would like to know if your company's about to fold and they're just gonna lay people off or would you rather take your package now and leave while they still don't know they're gonna fold? How many wouldn't mind knowing that? How many would like to know who your spouse is? Not those of married. Those of married, you, you already said it. Spouse is the one you're living with. Amen. If you're married. How many would like to know where God calls you? Where, what you need to, how many would like to know ahead of time so you can be aware of it? Now, something I have learned about the Holy Spirit is He doesn't reveal everything because He wants an element of faith. There's always the element of faith. It's walking on the water before you know how to do it. So sometimes he'll say, this is where you need to go, but now you step out by faith. But he does tell you when you have an assurance of where to go, you're able to walk in faith. Now notice, this Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit is going to reveal these things to you. He's going to teach you these things. Now how does that happen? This presence, you're born again, you've received the Holy Spirit, You've received His anointing. Say that. As a born again believer, I have the Holy Spirit in my life. I am anointed. Now, what does that anointing do for you? Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul quotes, he says, Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Now, he's quoting from an old covenant question that was it's asked quite often in the old covenant. You'll see references to it. It was Eliphaz when he was speaking to Job in chapter 15, verse 8, Job 15, 8. And also Isaiah 40, verse 13, asked the same thing. Who are we to teach God who knows everything? So Paul says that. He's, he's quoting that. The, the old covenant thinking is, who knows the mind of God? that we should even be able to say anything to him. And notice what he says, but, <laughs> but eliminates the statement. But we have the mind of, notice he didn't say the mind of God. He used the word, translate and meditate. We have the mind of the anointed one and His anointing, the Holy Spirit, who knows all things, illuminates your mind. We have the mind of Christ. Lift your hand and say, I have the mind of Christ. Now, what's he talking about? You'll see he refers to it if you have a look in the previous chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, of Him you are in Christ Jesus. Now, remember that again. When we talk about Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ, we talk about Jesus Christ, you, normally you will see it refers to either the man Jesus who is anointed, 
it gives you indication, or it's our responsibility through the anointing to God. But if you see Christ Jesus, it usually means it's the anointing that God releases for your good. God to man. So you are in the anointed one, Jesus, because He reached out, He paid the price, He saved us, He delivered us, He gave it all. All we have to do is believe. Now, the moment you did that, that anointing of this anointed one, Jesus, became for us wisdom where? From God and righteousness, sanctification and redemption. What's he saying? The moment you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive the one who knows all things. Who can know the mind of God? You can. You do. I said you do. How many you know everything? Let me see your hands. See, those that didn't raise their hands weren't here last week. How many of you believe the Holy Spirit knows everything? How many of you have the Holy Spirit within you? Keep that hand up. How many of you know everything? See, I'm not talking about your physical, natural mind. Isn't that right? There are things that you know that you're not even thinking about now in the natural. Isn't that right? If I asked you the seven colors of the rainbow, some of us may have to remember Roy Jibov. How many of you learned that one at school? So notice seven, not six. When God creates something, it's, it's pure, it's whole. Amen. So for those that don't know, Roy Jibiv, R-O-Y-G-B-I-V, red, orange, yellow, blue, uh, green, blue, indigo, violet. Now you know the seven colors. Have you learned something more? But you see now, you did know that, but you had to recall it. Isn't that right? So now the Holy Spirit, who is God's anointing, lives in you. And he knows the mind of God. He knows everything the Father. Jesus said he won't say anything unless the Holy Spirit, and he doesn't even speak on his own account. He reveals what he hears. So the one that knows everything dwells within you. So quite literally, you have the full knowledge of the universe. All that exists dwelling inside you. All you need to do is ask. Holy Spirit, I receive you. I receive you. You are the anointing of God. And that anointing illuminates my mind. I can think clearly. If I learn something, I can recall it because you'll remind me of what I've been taught. If I need to know what the truth is, you're going to guide me into it. If something is said that is not truth, you'll illuminate it. I'll, I'll know immediately. I'm very aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's what I trust to keep my, my doctrine sound, to make sure that I'm accurate to the Word of God, accurate with my wording, accurate how I respond in situations. I find that when I trip, it's because I haven't spent time in the presence of God. I haven't received the anointing for that day. So every day I want to make sure I'm positioned correctly, positioned accurately to be able to receive the anointing. Amen. How many of you have received the Holy Spirit? Hallelujah. Come on, give Jesus praise. Let's stand together.
Place your hand on your heart and just raise your other hand. Say this, today I received the word of God. That word brought faith to my heart. And I am a believer, not a doubter. As a hearer of the word, I'm also a doer. Today, I receive the Holy Spirit. I receive the anointing of God. I am anointed. I am in the body of Christ. The body of the anointed one. And as such, I am anointed. The very presence of the Holy Spirit. His anointing illuminates my mind. I am not limited by my natural brain. My mind is part of my spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwells within my mind. It is my soul. And He has illuminated my soul to know whatever I need to know. When I ask for the answer, He'll reveal it to me. I hear His voice. I don't follow a stranger. He guides me in truth. He illuminates my path. He shows me right and accurate decisions. When I'm about to make the wrong decision, He'll highlight it for me. He'll check me. He'll stop me. When I'm going in the right direction, I'll experience peace and His wisdom guides me. I'm a wise person for I have received the wisdom of the anointed one. His anointing is what became for me wisdom. I have the wisdom of God in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God.